0: How's it going? Great to be in Wyoming. I, always, always. Mr. Vice President, good to see
1: you, sir. Another trip back. Good yeah.
0: How are you? Nice to see you. You too. Good to see Pleasure you. Pleasure to see you, sir.
2: Late Tuesday morning at a polling place in Jackson, Wyoming, Congresswoman Liz Cheney talked about the issue that she has been talking about for the last year and a half, her fight against Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election.
0: And, uh, as a country, we're facing uh, very challenging and difficult times. Uh, we're facing... A moment where uh, our democracy really is uh, under attack and under threat.
2: One of the journalists who was with her was congressional reporter Paul Kane, who wondered whether this emphasis on Trump was ultimately hurting her.
1: Some people
2: have said that you could have run a local-issued campaign
0: and that you, by... By sort of not talking as much about the former president, that you might have been able to get more Republican votes, do you have any regrets on that? I, I have no regrets. I, I feel very proud about all the work that I've done together with the people of Wyoming over the last six years, uh, and uh, really understand and recognize there's nothing more important than the defense of our Constitution, and so I'm going to continue to, to work and, and ensure that we're doing that in a way that is nonpartisan.
2: Cool. Thanks. Thank you very much. Already, it sounded like Cheney was expecting to lose. And then on Tuesday night, she did. Not just by a little, but by a lot.
1: It was the largest margin we have seen in any of the impeachment Republicans going down this year.
2: That is politics reporter Amber Phillips. At this point, with 99% of votes tallied, Cheney is trailing her opponent Harriet Hageman 29% to 66%.
1: It was also expected. Uh, this is a state that she tried to run for re- re-election in, where Trump won with 70% of the vote, one of the largest margins in 2020 anywhere. So it's it's not a surprise that Liz Cheney lost. It's, it's almost more of a surprise that a Republican from Wyoming ended up being the Republican to be the voice and the critic of, of Trumpism.
2: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, August 17th. Today, we're talking to Amber Phillips about Cheney's loss and where she goes from here. And later in the show, we're going to break down the election in Alaska, where there was a major test of a new voting system that is already yielding some surprising election results.
0: years ago, I won this primary with 73 percent of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take.
2: You know, Amber, it really does seem like even Cheney herself was not surprised that she ended up losing this election.
1: That's right. Cheney knew, I think, as far back as January 6th, that to be a Republican who supported impeachment of a Republican president, a popular one at that, meant you had to be willing to lose your job. And sure Mm. enough, we've seen impeachment Republican after impeachment Republican lose their job in these primaries. So instead of focus on trying to get reelected in Wyoming and, and change the minds of all these Trump voters in her state, Cheney decided to focus entirely on remaking herself as the voice of anti-Trumpism within the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. She accepted not just a spot on the January 6th Congressional Committee, but the vice chairmanship, the number two spot. She spoke at the beginning and the end very prominently for every January 6th hearing that they held this summer. She and her father cut this really dramatic ad right before the primary where they talked about how Trump can't get anywhere near the Oval Office.
0: Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message.
1: And then she's just been completely open about the fact that she doesn't support Donald Trump. Some of these impeachment Republicans have tried to say, well, I support his policies, but, you know, encouraging people to march to the Capitol on January 6th was out of line. No, Cheney doesn't say that. She says Hmm. Trump has got to go. He is absolutely the wrong direction for the Republican Party. But the Republican Party doesn't agree.
2: And it seemed like part of that strategy was also relying on independents and in some cases Democrats to register as Republicans in Wyoming and vote for her in the primary in her sort of like open acknowledgement that Republicans who like Trump were just not going to vote for her no matter what. So do we know if that strategy had any impact? I mean, obviously, it didn't work in actually getting her reelected. But was there this like upsurge of of non Republicans who tried to register as Republicans to help her?
1: No, it doesn't seem like it at all. Uh, hmm. Certainly, there were some, uh, you know, and, and the post Paul Kane, who was with Cheney these last couple of days in Wyoming, noted that there was this cadre of uh, liberals who were newfound Cheney supporters at her concession party, uh, supporting her and voting for polling places and talking to reporters about it, even hosting her at their homes. But that's a small group. It, it was not enough, it, like in the tens of thousands of range, is what would have been needed most likely to try to help support Cheney and keep her in office and send a message to Republicans that someone like Cheney deserves to stay in office. It was not nearly enough. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that underscores that there is, right now, no political home for someone like Liz Cheney. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I wonder if that, like, like what is the message that is being sent here for other Republicans? I mean, is this a confirmation that you're either with Trump or you're against Trump? And if you are against Trump, that you will not be reelected?
1: I think that's a very strong possibility. I've been tracking... The 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump after January 6th, which is a lot, a very high number uh, if you look at the history of impeachment, and four have retired, four said, I'm not even going to try, six decide to run for reelection, and so far, including Cheney, four of them have lost their primaries. And Mm -hmm. the only two, other two who made it through their primaries so far were in this kind of weird all party primary where you advance regardless of who else is in the primary, regardless of party. And so that means they had two chances Mm -hmm. to essentially come in first. So I think that it does underscore yet again, I keep saying this, and it's true that Republicans who, who want to oppose Trump don't have a home in office. And it's really been this way since the beginning of Trump's administration. I remember Jeff Flake, a senator from Arizona, gave this essentially flame-out speech on the, on the floor of the Senate and said, I, I can't be a part of this party anymore, and so I know that's gonna cost me my seat. I have children and grandchildren to answer to, and so, Mr. President, I will not be complicit or silent. To that end, I am announcing today that my service in the Senate will conclude at the end of my term in early January, 2019. Bob Corker of Tennessee retired after describing the Trump administration as a banana republic. It's not a good place for any party to to end up with a cult-like situation as it relates to uh, to to a president that uh, happens to be of purportedly of the of the same party and on and on and on. And here we are, several years later, Trumpism is well embedded in the Republican Party. And I think my colleague Aaron Blake said it best in his takeaways of primaries that as Trump feels like the walls are closing in on him legally, any number of investigations, and and they certainly are by what we can see publicly, he should take comfort in the fact that voters are still with him in these primaries. Mm Mm-hmm. I also want
2: to talk a little bit about Cheney's challenger, Harriet Hageman, who is experiencing kind of the flip side of this, right? Like a, a person who is benefiting, even though she's not the incumbent, because she is so um, in line with former President Trump. So tell me a little bit about her and also about her chances of actually winning in the general election in November.
0: Wyoming has
1: spoken on behalf- This great country who believes in the American dream, who believes in liberty, and who recognizes that our natural rights, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, equal protection, and due process come from God.
2: They do not come from government.
1: And the government cannot take them away. The woman who ousted Liz Cheney, she's a former lawyer, and she has had her own evolution on Trump. She used to support Cheney. And in 2016, she was one of the many, many Republicans in the party who called him racist and xenophobic. Clearly, she's changed her mind, and that has boosted her to winning this primary. And Harriet Higman will almost certainly be the next member of Congress from Wyoming. Wyoming is one of the least populated states of the nation, and so it only has one congressional seat. And we just talked about how it is a very pro-Trump state, very Republican state. If you win the Republican primary in Wyoming for the House, you are almost certainly the next member of Congress. And so it is a drastic change for the Wyoming delegation for Wyoming voters to be represented by a woman like Harriet Hageman, super pro-Trump, willing to say that the election was rigged, which is false, compared to Liz Cheney, where they previously had one of the biggest critics of Trump.
2: I wonder what you think is in store for Congresswoman Cheney in the future. I've heard people talk about the prospect of her running for president, which I, I can see how she has cut a very large figure in the last two years and has, I think, to a lot of people, um, her profile has been raised because she has been this kind of forceful part of the Republican Party uh, standing up against Trump. But at the same time, I mean, I think if she can't even win an election as a Republican in Wyoming, like it's hard to understand what election she would win, where she wouldn't run into the same problems. So what, what do you see for her? What is your sense of what she is eyeing for the future?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very smart point, Martine. If she took that leap and ran for president and she's really hinting that she's thinking about it, Cheney would not be expecting to win. Uh, It seems she's very clear eyed about that. Paul Kane has reported that Cheney is among this group of never Trump Republicans or anti-Trump Republicans who thinks that the party needs a 2024 candidate who's just going to try to take him down in some way. It's risky, right? Do you do you risk splitting, you know, the anti Trump voters and then giving Trump the nomination in twenty twenty four? It's a risky bet, but Cheney really feels like they need someone on the national stage who's willing to speak eloquently and forcefully about the fact that the election was not stolen and the Republican Party is moving in a very anti democratic direction. And she is seems to be strongly considering that person to be her. Yeah, but I mean it's I can see the
2: rationale there, right, of um wanting to be the person who challenges Trump, but would she have any chance of actually winning in a 2024 primary?
1: No, not at all. Absolutely not. As you point out, she can't win in in a Republican state a congressional seat. No, no, she would not be trying to win the 2024 primary. She would just be this candidate or, or maybe she would support and advise another candidate hmm. to just kind of be the anti-Trump foil to just try. I will be doing whatever it takes to keep Donald Trump out
0: of the Oval Office. Well, I know you didn't say yes or no, and that's fine if you're thinking about it. But are you thinking about it? Are
2: you thinking about running for president?
0: uh, That's a decision that I'm going to make in the in the coming months, Savannah. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but uh, but it is something that I uh, I'm thinking about, and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months.
1: Let's go back to and uh, I think I think that this group of Republicans feels like, at the very least, for the history books, they have to try to steer the Republican Party another direction, or to give voters another option, or at the very least, to just show Mm -hmm. (laughs) that there are some donors willing to put money behind them in support of—I keep saying try because it's potentially a futile effort—pulling the Republican Party back from the direction it's going in.
2: So thinking about the role that Liz Cheney has had in the Republican Party, um, especially since January sixth and that she is kind of one of these last stalwarts of no, we will not tolerate Trump. I mean, what does this mean for the Republican Party going forward that they will not have a Liz Cheney in their midst? Is it gonna are things just gonna be easier for them or um I don't know?
1: I think in in one sense, if you're House Republican leader Kev McCarthy, things are a lot easier. You don't have someone like Liz Cheney going on national TV in a primetime congressional hearing saying your dishonor will remain.
0: Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain.
1: That being said, this also means that House Republicans have made their decision. They're all in with President Trump. And we saw last week after the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago for classified top secret documents they ended up finding, how awkward that can be for Republicans.
2: What was on the war? What were you really doing? What were you looking for? Why not talk to President Trump and have him give
1: the information you're after? Republicans what? immediately jumped on the FBI for jumping the gun. And was there really evidence? The well, Yeah, there was. There was. And, and, and the search does seem justified. Is it plausible the FBI would open up an investigation of Donald Trump without merit? Hell yeah, they've done it before. And and now you have some Republicans backing off against that. And so Republicans are right back where they started, I think, when Trump first ran for office and got the nomination, which is they're all in on supporting Trump. And sometimes that means some really awkward two-step dances away from him as he gets deeper and deeper, especially this time, into, into what could be pretty serious legal trouble in several states and two federal investigations.
2: I'm also curious about what this means for House Democrats. I don't know how much they were partnering with Liz Cheney on things outside of um, things like the January 6th hearings. But does it feel like Democrats are losing an important ally in, in this kind of continued attempt to stand up to Trump?
1: I think it does. So Liz Cheney, even though she lost her primary in August, she will still serve until January when her term is over. So the January 6th committee has a deadline on it. It has a couple months before it loses this really prominent member and its other Republican, Adam Kinzinger, who's retiring. He's a Republican from Illinois. So they only have a couple months before they're no longer technically a bipartisan committee. That being said, they always knew they had this timeline in January because if, as it does seem likely, House Republicans take back control of the House, Kevin McCarthy has said he'd probably disband or at the very least sideline this January 6th congressional committee. It's not something Republicans want to look into. That being said, outside of January 6th, I'm not aware of how much, if at all, Democrats worked with Liz Cheney. I mean, let's remember, she opposes abortion rights. Uh, She supports gun rights, opposes any kind of gun control. She's really, really conservative. Before This whole thing happened. Trumpism completely changed her trajectory and her future. She was on track potentially to be the next House Republican speaker and and try to be the foil in whatever Democratic president Democrats had at the time. That's not the case anymore.
2: After the break, we talk about the election in Alaska and how an experiment in voting is playing out. We'll be right back. So, Amber, we have been talking about the downfall of candidates who have stood up to former President Donald Trump. But then you have Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, who advanced in her primary, despite the fact that she voted to convict Trump for his role in January 6th. Why is her fate playing out differently than what we saw uh, happen to Liz Cheney?
1: I think there are a couple of reasons. Lisa Murkowski looks much more likely to come back to Congress than Liz Cheney, who's clearly lost her job in Congress. Um, One of them is Alaska is just a different state than Wyoming. It's got an independent streak. It's not quite as in line with the Republican Party. The other is that Lisa Murkowski has been a senator who has cultivated ties among Democrats and independents. In 2010, she won a write-in. campaign after losing to a right-wing challenger because she had so many people who supported her. Liz Cheney tried that a little bit, as we talked about, and it didn't work for her. And then finally, Lisa Murkowski had the support and backing of Senate Republicans who wanted to protect their incumbent senator. Hmm. Despite the fact that Trump had boosted a pro-Trump challenger against Lisa Murkowski, Senate Republicans didn't do what House Republicans did and completely switch over to the Trump-backed supporter. So that gave Lisa Murkowski a, a lot of wiggle room, more so than Liz Cheney. And
2: and can I just ask the, the reason why Senate Republicans were so supportive of Murkowski? Was that just because they are worried that if she were to be primaried by a more extreme, more conservative person, that they would maybe lose that seat and continue to not have control of the Senate?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the primary reasons. Mitch McConnell and GOP Senate leaders believe that incumbents are more likely to win reelection than a newcomer. So if you oust the incumbent, you have a newcomer who isn't this untested figure. Mm-hmm. Uh and and that can be dangerous to try mm-hmm. to lose the Senate seat. And then in addition to that, Senate Republicans in general are just less pro-Trumpian Pro the election was stolen in 2020 than House Republicans have become. It's hmm. just there's a completely different culture between the two chambers. Interesting. So, what does that mean for November?
2: I mean, will Murkowski be able to win in a few months?
1: The big test for Murkowski will be in November rather than. In the primary. And that's because Alaska voters recently approved a a change, a couple of changes to how they vote. And one of them is that the top two advance to the general election regardless of their party. And so that means it will be Lisa Murkowski and her Trump backed rival in November again. It's not like you choose a Republican and a Democrat to face off against each other. In addition to that, you rank your choices. And that is a relatively new and growing phenomenon in American democracy.
2: Can you explain how this ranked choice voting
1: works in Alaska and and why they're doing it? So what happens in ranked choice voting and the way it worked in Alaska is that voters rank their top choices, one, two, three, four. And if their first choice gets knocked out, Their votes are redistributed. Their second-choice votes go to someone who's still in until someone wins the majority and on and on. This method tends to reward politicians with a wide appeal rather than a narrow one. Maybe someone like Murkowski, who has independents and Democrats, who might not rank her as first, but they still like her enough to rank her as second or third, whereas Mm -hmm. they're definitely not ranking Trump's Republican-backed supporter. So all that means is... Yeah, Murkowski has a shot, we'll see in November, to win re-election.
2: And I'm just curious, why did Alaska choose to put this new system in place of ranked choice voting?
1: Ranked choice voting is this growing, popular way to kind of change democracy. The idea is that you get to... Choose not just one candidate. You don't have to feel stuck in this binary choice, A or B. And I think after the 2016 presidential election, when a lot of voters reported feeling, I don't like Hillary Clinton, I don't like Donald Trump, it grew in popularity. Maine picked it up, a state, again, way, way, way on the far side of the United States that has its independence streak. Alaska picked it up. New York City used it for their recent mayoral race. Uh, There's half a dozen, if not more, other cities in America that are using this. And democracy activists I've talked to who support this say this is a really good way to kind of take the partisan bite out of primaries, that you have to be a candidate who Republicans like and some Democrats or independents like as well. It even forces you to campaign for your opponent's supporters. So you're trying to win over Mm. your opponent's supporters rather than just take down your opponent. That being said, the knock against it is that it's confusing. Mm. Uh, It takes a while. We probably won't know the full results of, of Alaska's primaries till the end of the month, for example. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, exactly. It takes a while to reallocate the votes, to count the votes. Um, Alaska just also tends to be a big state. You know, People can mail in their votes and it can take a while to get to the polling places. Mm-hmm. So, th- so there's a knock against it that is confusing. I don't see this becoming the way Americans vote nationally anytime soon. But there is this group of kind of independent states who who are trying this out. And So far, voters seem to like it, at least after a couple election cycles in Maine when they got used to it.
2: Interesting. Um, Before we finish talking about Alaska, I do want to talk about Sarah Palin. So she is trying to make her political comeback. Um, Obviously, she's a former Alaska governor and vice presidential candidate. Um, She is running to uh, be congresswoman from Alaska. How did her race play out?
1: Sarah Palin was trying a pretty risky comeback, political comeback. She was the former governor of Alaska, of course, former vice presidential candidate for the Republican Party, and then left the governorship, almost in the middle of her term, and took a lot of heat from regular Alaskans who felt like she just spent that intervening time to be a celebrity. But with this rare opportunity for Alaska's one House seat open for the first time in 50 years, she decided she wanted to try to go to Congress. And we're still waiting on results because Alaska has this ranked choice voting system and it can take till the end of the month to figure out how voters ranked their candidates. But it is a possibility that Sarah Palin, the biggest name in Alaska, the biggest name in this special election, does not make it to Congress. On Wednesday morning, with 68% of the votes counted, a Democrat, Mary Peltola, is leading over Sarah Palin and over another Republican in the primary, Nick Begich. What that means, we have to wait and see. How to, who, who ranks Sarah Palin second, right? No candidate has a majority of the vote. So now whoever ranks Sarah Palin second, those votes are going to go to Sarah Palin. But are there more people who ranked the Democrat second? Uh, in which case it, it is possible... That a Democrat could take this House seat for the first time in nearly fifty years, which would certainly be a coup for Democrats in a state like Alaska, and would be a knock not only on Sarah Palin and her brand name but on President Trump who endorsed her
2: hm that there is a limit to trump 's king making or queen making power
1: that 's right, but because this is a special election we 'll see Sarah Palin on the ballot again in November. When Alaska holds yet another election with the same candidates to try to determine who goes to Congress for the full two years rather than just these couple intervening months. Amber,
2: thank you so much for explaining all of this to us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Amber Phillips writes about politics for the Post. Thank you to senior congressional correspondent Paul Kane, who contributed reporting from Wyoming. This story was produced by Rennie Spernovsky and Sharla Freeland. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Before we go, I want to shout out all of the listeners who have written in to tell us about their COVID super dodger status. There was Bill, who said that the way that he has stayed COVID-free is because he's, quote, a raging introvert. Then there was Lynn, who said her husband says that she's too mean to have any virus living in her. We definitely laughed at some of these responses, and we really enjoyed reading them. If you haven't yet heard our episode from yesterday, we did a whole segment about this very exclusive club, people who have managed to dodge COVID, at least as far as they know. We have loved hearing from all of you, and please keep your stories coming by sending them to postreports at washpost.com. I'm Martine Powers.